Hello everyone, welcome back to Point of Insanity Game Studios Geekery in General. This is Historical Gaming, The New Testament, The Unintended Part 3. Because I talk a lot. And you know else who also talks a lot? My wingman of mayhem, Chad. I, I do talk a lot, and that's okay. Because we're giving them a lot, lot of information about a lot of different things. And so we don't make this one another hour long. Let's get into it. So in part two, we discussed your warrior classes and your thieves and how to incorporate them into the time of the New Testament. Now we get to the fun stuff, religion with the clerics. So you could very easily create a cleric character in this time. Now, as with most historical gaming scenarios, you might want to modify the spells that you give them because I know that the second edition historical reference series often recommends only using non-dramatic spells like dispel evil, dispel magic, bless, things like that. Something like blade barrier or creeping doom or heal, probably a little out of place, but of course it's up to you whether you want to incorporate that or not. We know quite a bit about Roman religion, and of course uh, they have been incorporated in D&D. Usually in your legends and lore source books, they have the Greek gods, and usually the Greek gods are pretty similar to the Roman gods and how they were viewed. But we also know that the Romans did have somewhat of a state religion and would sometimes even deify their deceased emperors. Overall, I would classify the state religion of Rome as lawful neutral. And that's because in ancient Rome, religion was part of everyday life and was seen as critical to maintaining social order. Everything was focused on the good of the state. Tradition was more important than innovation and authority was handed down and never debated. So basically, this is how it is, this is how it was, this is how it's always going to be, you don't ask any questions. Now the priests of this day were often involved in politics as well. Uh, there was also a specialty type of priest you could play called an augur. Essentially these were diviners. They, their duty was to interpret the will of the gods through various omens and rituals. A lot of times when people think about ancient Rome, they often think about religious intolerance because, again, we do know that, yes, Christians were persecuted. And that's because there were laws on the book as to what was considered a legal religion and an illegal one. However, in reality, the Romans were a bit more religiously tolerant than we like to think they were. One of the beliefs in the empire was that people could worship whatever gods they wanted to as long as they were willing to participate in certain public rituals. The Romans were also known to absorb the gods and beliefs of the people they conquered rather than oppress them. And again, if you go back to part one, that is one of the reasons why there was conflict between the Romans and the Jews and Christians, because they refused to participate in these public rituals that were seen as important for the stability of the empire. It's like, it's like any time in history where 
Certain religions were allowed, certain religions weren't. But to say that the Romans were anti-religion, I think is going a little far. I mean, just look at the number of gods that the Romans themselves worshipped, you know. And then you take into account that, as you were saying, as they, as they conquered people, those gods were brought into the fold. So to, to say that they were anti-religion, I think, is incorrect. Now, to say that it was right to not allow Christians and Jews to practice their religion, I would disagree with that as well. That was not correct, but, you know, I guess you have to draw a line somewhere, right? Yeah, and again, with the Jews, they did tend to respect the Jews because they, part they practiced an ancient established religion. And again, going back to part one, they knew that if they pushed the Jews too far, they would take up arms. Whereas Christians tended to be more pacifistic, and they were willing to suffer for their beliefs. Which, again, is one of the many things that Romans thought was strange about this new religion they were coming in contact with. Well, this transitions nicely to early Christianity. Early Christians were very different than Christianity as it's practiced today. Now, the first Christians were actually messianic, apocalyptic Jews. They expected a Messiah, and that the end of the world as we knew it was coming soon. Initially, early Christians held many of the same beliefs that Jews did. One of the biggest arguments among the early Christians, though, was how much of the old Jewish law would non-Jewish converts have to follow. So, when we talk about how to create an early Christian cleric, I would actually recommend more of a high charisma, because, again, at this point in the church's history, while they're a new religion, their main goal is to try to attract new followers. And if you uh, need a good model, I might recommend the pacifist priest from the second edition complete priest handbook as a model for an early Christian cleric. Now, this brings us to the question of weapons. I would probably recommend limiting them to staves and clubs and maybe slings, because again, at this time, the idea of a warrior uh, priest among Christians wasn't really a common ideal. Yeah, I think it would be I would be weapons that were blunt, you know, blunt trauma type weapons, because they would only use their weapons to get away. It would be my I understand, you know, would be the way I would think about it. So a staff would be great because they can trip people. A club would be good because, you know, you could knock them silly so they had stars flipping around their head kind of thing. You know, um, slings. Um, no, David and Goliath, so you have that. I don't know if I would go with the whole sling thing just because a sling can kill. I mean, yes, a club and a, and a staff can kill, but there's a better chance you're going to kill with a sling, you know? Um, so I don't know. I, I don't think there would be many weapons that I would allow to, to an early uh, Christian, but then again, you know, I guess I'd have to do more historically and find out that, you know, did Christian um, warriors exist or, you know, or didn't well, they? You're lucky, because I actually looked into a little bit of that uh, when I was, again, researching the episode. 
Now, as far as the apostles using weapons, we or the disciples, we do know that Peter did use a sword to cut off a man's ear. And there are verses mm -hmm. that seem to indicate Jesus told his disciples to buy weapons. It's There was one where I think where they were going to go to the Mount Olives, he said something about sell your cloak and buy a sword if you don't have one. I'm paraphrasing here, of well, course. Yeah, but, and I'm I'm assuming it was for self-defense. Yeah, and it's actually debated, though, that command about buying swords, if he meant it literally or figurative, figuratively. Okay. Because we have to remember that after Peter cut off that man's ear, Jesus told him to put away the sword because, again, those who live by the sword die by the sword. One theory is that Jesus wanted his followers to appear as responsible citizens and not armed revolutionaries. Because remember, we've got a new and developing religion at this time. So, you know, again, we know from history that a lot of times whenever there is a new religion, it's not uncommon for people to write, you know, rumors and wild things about them. So, yeah, you would want to make this your new religion appear as one that's not trying to overthrow the social order that was so important to the Romans. Right, but you've also got to look at the fact that Jesus didn't think of himself as starting a new religion. That is true. He was just interpret he was just interpreting or interpreting Judaism in a different way. I mean, he if you go by the Bible and you know I can't even say historical because we really don't have a whole lot of historical stuff on, on Jesus of, of Nazareth. But if you go by the Bible and, and some of the Christian texts, he wasn't trying to start a new religion. He was trying to make the religion he was a part of better. Yeah, and I don't remember where it was, but I think one of his quotes was, I have not come to destroy the law, but fulfill it. But you're right. He wasn't, he didn't see himself as starting a new religion. It was more how other people interpreted it. Because, yeah, the early Christians were essentially Jews, but over time, it, that would start to, the two religions would start to move away from each other. And again, a lot of that had to do with them bringing in uh, non-Jewish converts to this new religion. That and the fact of the New Testament. So after the 400s, there was a definite split because at that point, the the uh, the Christians or the Catholics or whatever you want to call it, they went away from the Old Testament and they went to this newer, softer, more gentle Jesus character than the vengeful, you know, God of the Old Testament. So that's where the biggest schism came was in I, I think the I think the Gospels and stuff were figured out at the at the um, uh, at the um, Council of the Nicene, the, yeah, the yeah. Nicene at the Nicene Council, and that was like 486, 476, somewhere in that late, you know, late 400s. So that had a lot to do with the the schism becoming more true than it ever was before that. So now there is one power that clerics have that I think would be very appropriate for an early Christian cleric. And that is the turn on dead ability, because we do know that uh, the 
disciples and various missionaries were said to have been given the power to cast out spirits. And again, we do see references to evil spirits and unclean spirits in the Bible. Right. In fact, Jesus removed uh, legion from somebody in the Bible. I can't remember exactly where in the Bible, but Jesus was talking to a, a farmer and the farmer was possessed by these spirits. And Jesus asked the spirit, what's your name? And of course, you know, we get that iconic, we are, we are legion. And he just, you know, sent them on their way, basically. Yeah, he um, exor- he forced them to into the bodies of swine, and then the, the pigs went and jumped in a river and drowned themselves. Yep. So, you know, we got to look at this historically, though. I wouldn't necessarily call it turning on dead. I would call it something like repelling spirits or, or you know, turning spirits even turning turning is not the right word but expelling demons expelling spirits driving out because you're not going to have a whole set of de- or uh, of zombies walking down the street in judea that's just not going to happen not if you're going to stay with a uh, historically correct um game so yeah. i think that i think it's a good power i think it can be used i think you would just have to modify it a little bit Well, another one of the religions that we see come into play at this time is Gnosticism. Sometimes it's thought more as a school of thought as opposed to a distinct religion, as there were Gnostics among the Christians, the Jews, and other religions as well. Gnostics did not think of themselves as Gnostics. They just thought of themselves as whatever religion they were a part of. Um, And they were just, much like Jesus, they were trying to better interpret the laws they had to work with. And like Mithraism, much of what we know about Gnostics came from the people who didn't like them. Now, in the last episode, we mentioned religion for breakfast, and the host for that, Dr. Andrew Henry, uh, again, I started watching his YouTube channel, and he made an interesting comparison. Imagine asking a Democrat to write an essay called, What is a Republican? Unless the author is exceptionally open-minded, chances are the essay would contain lots of stereotypes and generalizations. And I think the opposite would hold true. If you asked a Republican to write a paper called What is a Democrat, you're probably going to find, again, depending on the author, you're probably going to find a lot of stereotypes and generalizations. Well, can we get to the base of a Gnostic? So... The word Gnostic comes from the word Gnosis. And of course, Gnosis is, uh, is, is it Greek? Yeah, I think it's Greek for knowledge. So all they're really saying when they, when they call somebody a Gnostic is that this person knows things. And it was the Middle Ages, so they drank and they knew things. Yeah, they believed more in a focus on personal knowledge and religious experience as opposed to what the church authorities told you. So the basic beliefs of Gnosticism, now this is just a generalization, not all Gnostics necessarily believed it, but they essentially believe in this one monad, this one ultimate reality, ultimate deity, uh, sometimes called the, the living father or the true father, and there were different aeons that emanated from him in male, female pairs. The final and weakest one was Sophia, who is sometimes believed to be Jesus's female counterpart. Well, she tried to create life 
without her male counterpart and created a being known as Ildeboa, who is an example of a demiurge, a type of deity that is the architect of the material world, but not necessarily the, the creator of it. So it's believed that Ildeboa and his followers had trapped bits of the light in Adam's body. And then they trapped this, this light in the material world so it could suffer. Now the Gnostics believed in a series of seven heavens. And it's believed that when you died, you had to ascend through these heavens. And when you got to each gate, there was an archon there who would ask you a question. If you failed to answer, you were sent back to the material world to suffer. If you succeeded in answering the question, you could pass on until you would eventually rejoin the living father. So again, that's just a generalization. Before we had a better idea of their beliefs, Gnostics were accused of every despicable act you can imagine, such as eating babies and engaging in orgies. So we they actually, were D&D players. Yeah, pretty much. Except I don't think I've ever been accused of uh, engaging in orgies as a D&D player. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> but if you go back to the satanic panic, we were accused of, you know, drinking the blood of babies. So Yes, which I know you prefer chilled, right? Well, yes, but room temperature is okay as well. <laughs> we actually didn't get a very good idea of what they truly believed until quite recently. In 1945... An Egyptian man discovered a sealed clay jar containing various manuscripts, though it would be a few years before scholars had the opportunity to, to translate them. These writings eventually became known as the Nag Hammadi Library, and this is the first time we would get more information about what they believed, though not all scholars believe the entire body of work should be considered Gnostic, as the library does refer to texts that were written during in the old Egyptian kingdom period, which was over 2,000 years before this time. Now, the Gospel of Thomas is probably the most well-known, and it's a collection of sayings that's attributed to Jesus, so that's that text may have actually been written and then added on to over the years. But they were often mistrusted, persecuted, uh, because of their refusal to accept church authority, and instead go by personal experience. Now, as far as how we stat them out, I could I would see allowing Gnostics to be either priests or wizards. What do you think? Um, I could see them being priests. You know, I, I have a real hard time with the term wizard or sorcerer when it comes to this time and period. Um, but I could also see them as monks, I could, and probably as a fighter. Okay. Another religion that we see active at this time is Zoroastrianism. Now, it's worth noting that the wise men were believed to be practitioners of Zoroastrianism. Now, question for you, Chad. According to the Bible, how many wise men were there? Three. Wrong. The Bible only says wise men from the East. It later on is when we would start to see this idea of the three wise men. Well, I think, no, no. later in the Bible, um, at the birth of Jesus, they talk about the three gifts, the gold, frankincense, and myrrh. 
and the three wise men were given names. Now, I don't know if that was in the Bible or not, but I'm pretty sure somewhere in the Bible it denotes three. But I could be wrong. It's been a while since I've read the Bible. When I was, again, when I was preparing for this episode, it did mention, it just said wise men and it mentioned the gold, frankincense and myrrh, but it didn't, rec it didn't say how many there were and who gave what the, uh, three wise men. Yeah. That actually came a bit later anyways. And it also doesn't specify that they were Kings because again, we know there's that Christmas song, we three Kings, all this comes from later tradition. Zoroastrianism was the dominant religion of Persia from around 600 BCE until the rise of Islam. The founder, Zoroaster, reformed the earlier polytheistic religion into a monotheistic one. Now, I actually found this interesting because he didn't destroy the old religion, he just reinterpreted it. He placed one of the gods, Ahura Mazda, as the supreme god. Other gods, who were essentially good in nature, were reduced to the status of angels. Deities, who were viewed as evil, were reduced to the status of demons, led by a god named Angra Manu, which he's always pictured as being the rival of Ahura Mazda, never his equal. So similar to the whole God-Satan thing that we would see develop in later times. Essentially, followers of Zoroastrianism believed in the threefold path of good thoughts, good words, and good deeds, charity towards the poor, and spiritual equality of the genders, and performing good acts just because it was the right thing to do, even if there would be no reward involved. They also believed that essentially all souls would be purified and be allowed to move on to paradise. Well, and yeah, that makes sense. We had to get the idea of the devil from somewhere, right? And that's one of the places that they can point to because early Christians were Jews. Jewish people do not believe in a hell. They believe in heaven. And then there's, I'm not, I'm not a hundred percent sure on this, but there's either levels of heaven or areas of heaven, depending on whether you were good or evil what point in paradise you get to go to but there was no de there was no devil and there was no hell so you know and satan didn't appear in in catholicism till well later five six maybe 700 ce before the devil really became anything and even within even within christianity as a religion his role has changed you know, I don't know a lot about Zoroastrianism. Um, I'll be honest about that. But I do have this little piece of of trivia for you. Do you know who or what musical, I guess the word at this point would be legend, was a practicing Zoroastra, Zoroastrianist? Uh, wasn't Freddie Mercury? Yes, he was. Exactly. Yeah, as far as like with uh, Jewish belief in hell, at least around this time, they believed in a place called Sheol, which was where all souls went when they died. It wasn't necessarily a place of punishment. It was just kind of this place of darkness and quiet. But eventually Jewish beliefs on the afterlife would evolve where they would develop more of a heaven-hell type concept. 
But yeah, and, and you are right. The devil, as this powerful temptation figure, doesn't actually evolve until later. Now, another type of religion we see around this time were the mystery cults. So, Chad, would you like to hear about mystery religions? Yeah, because I'm not sure what you're talking about with mystery cults. Well, I can't actually tell you anything about them because then they wouldn't be a mystery anymore, would they? All right, moving on. <laughs> now, actually, it is true we don't know much about them, and mainly because those who practiced them were generally sworn to secrecy, but we do know participation in these cults often involved a series of initiations and sacrifices. They commonly focused on the afterlife, a journey to the underworld, and achieving an altered state of consciousness. So they were hippies. Kind of, yeah. <laughs> they also <laughs> believed in an emphasis on equality. Also, another thing that was interesting about them is they tended to be fads. A mystery cult would arise suddenly, gain popularity, and then usually fade out after about 10 or 20 years. Contemporary sources often paint a negative view of them, just like Gnostics were accused of every sort of perversion and blasphemy you can imagine. Generally, they worshipped deities like Mithras, Isis, Hermes, or Dionysus. Okay, sounds like it could have been fun. <laughs> Especially if they were if they were if they were worshiping Dionysus, I mean, wasn't that the god of wine? Yes, and the drunken rage too. So he was one of those deities yeah, you so had to be careful with. He could have been. That could have been a lot of fun. It could have. The next priestly class, the Druids. I personally wouldn't recommend it because while Druids did exist in this time period, the I don't think they ever traveled to Judea. And the Romans also distrusted them and tended to spread nasty rumors about them. Yeah, the Druids you would have to play if you were doing a, a time period piece in like Germany or uh, the Celtic areas, you know, uh, Wales, Ireland, Scotland. That's that's where you would find Druids, I would think, for the most part. And I don't know if I'd allow a Druid in a situation like this. Just because at that point in history, Druids were really kind of off the wall and that's a top good topic for another time but yeah i think we actually don't know too much about them from first-hand sources a lot of it came no. from julius caesar at a time when he was trying to wage war on them yep a lot of it came through the roman empire and to be honest they had a hell of a time with the druids because no matter how hard they tried they couldn't seem to conquer them so mm -hmm. Well, this brings us finally to the wizards, the magic users. So this is another class where it's difficult, not just because of a historical time frame. And let's face it, we've never seen anyone actually magically cast anything even remotely similar to a first level spell in real life. So again, as with any historical gaming scenario, while you can certainly allow wizards, if you want to keep a historical feel, you generally should limit their spells to stuff that could be seen as the result of a scientific experiment, coincidence, or, or just a superstitious belief. Yeah, I, I hear what you're saying, but I guess personally I wouldn't allow wizards or sorcerers, depending on what, what you know, you're using, just because magic doesn't exist. Sure, um, if you want to do anything under wizards, you could do like 
charlatans with sleight of hand. They could do certain spells with sleight of hand. But a lot of times it was just people that were considered wizards were just people who knew something nobody else knew. You know, the guy who could create fire. Well, he just happened to know about gunpowder or something like that that was not common knowledge. Personally, I wouldn't use wizards. I will talk about them. But I just, you know, if you're going with a traditional historic game. Now, if you're going to say it's set in Judea in, in 75 CE, but we're going to have magic, okay, then wizards are fine. But if you're going to go historical, I don't think wizards fit into the game. There is actually one reference to a wizard in the New Testament, though. Um, now, we also know there was a, there was like what, the Witch of Endor or something from the Old Testament. But in the New Testament, there is reference to a character named, a person named Simon Magnus. Some people call him the first heretic, though others have speculated he may have been a Gnostic. And some people have even tried to connect him to the Druids. He was baptized, but it's believed he did this more out of a desire for power than out of genuine belief. And there is a story that appears in an apocryphal work, not the old, the New Testament, where I think it was St. Peter had an encounter with Simon Magnus, and he mentions him like flying or levitating. So um, Peter like waved his hand, dispelled his... Uh, whatever was causing him to fly, and he came crashing down to the ground. But while practicing magic was forbidden among Jews, there was a belief in witchcraft and magic among Romans. We have records of spells that were believed to attract the attention of the opposite sex, uh, recipes for various healing potions, cast curses, and even shapeshift into a wolf. Usually these spells were in the form of talismans. There were also rituals meant to counter curses. Several years ago, I saw a documentary on chariot racing, and since it was believed that an opponent might try to curse you, the racers would often recite a spell before the start of the race to protect themselves. Okay, but, but does a superstition make it real? It can, because it's, it's based on belief, so who knows? It still doesn't make it real. Just because an entire... Okay, I'm going to throw you kind of a curveball here. But just because an entire country believed the ravings of a madman in World War II doesn't make the ravings of the madman to be truth. No, it doesn't. But I'm just saying, like, if we're looking at for, like, a system of magic, if the Game Master wanted to, I think... Well, extravagant spells like Fireball and Lightning Bolt would be out of the question. Some stuff like divination, enchantment, charm spells. And plus, some people were believed to summon demons. So I think some stuff like that could be considered appropriate in a historical campaign. Yeah, I could see. I see that argument. I don't know. I think it's... Okay, I, I see the argument. I just don't know if I agree with it. Fair enough. Now, if we're going to be talking about monsters, of course, there's talk about stuff in the book of Revelation, but in other parts of the New Testament, we do see there's a belief in demons and unclean spirits. 
So it was believed that, uh, at least in Jewish folklore, that uh, some of these spirits that could possess people were actually ghosts of the Nephilim. Uh, these were the half-angel, half-human offspring of fallen angels, and it's believed after they died in the Great Flood, some of their spirits remained on Earth where they tried to possess people. Yeah, I, you know, I can see using things like that. Um, as far as I look at it, though, my main monster would be other humans. You know, I could see, though, using things like ghosts because there was a strong belief in ghosts i can see using unclean spirits i can even see using angels as a as a power for good because the belief in angels has been around for a long time same with demons um in fact if you go back far enough the word daemon uh was actually an all-encompassing term that meant you could be you were basically a spirit you could be a good or a bad spirit but through time that has transferred into being demons and demons are bad but that's not always been the case so you could you could use you could go by that you know thought that you can call everything a demon whether it's good or bad that you need to figure out for yourself kind of thing so you could kind of throw that in there but i think your overall most pressing monster is going to be other humans that is true humans have been quite monstrous over the course of history haven't they absolutely i mean if you look at the human race, there's been a lot of monsters. Yep, that is true. But these spirits did play a role in the New Testament. Um, again, we mentioned Legion before and you know stories of Jesus casting out unclean spirits. Uh, I know that among the Romans and Jews, there was a shared belief that those who were not given a proper burial could come back as a vengeful spirit. And we do know people believe these demons could possess people, though... There are some who believe that when Jesus was performing exorcisms, he wasn't really casting out a spirit. He was curing inflictions like epilepsy or various mental illnesses. Mm -hmm. See, and now if we look at Jesus, and this is kind of going back to priest when you were talking about the different spells for priests. I was thinking about this. So if we take as historical fact that Jesus was a man that lived and the stories that have been told about him are at least kind of accurate, why would things like heal be something you wouldn't want to give them? Because not only Jesus could heal people, but there are stories that the disciples could do the same. I think the reason, or at least the intent that the historical reference series usually did, was that since we don't really see much evidence of this, some of these spells across the world, that we should probably tune them down just for historical accuracy. Now, personally, as a game master, I think a DM should be allowed to allow whatever spells he wanted to. So, I mean, something like heal or cure wound spells, not out of place in my personal opinion. Okay. All right. I was just, I, I as we had been talking through it, I was, you know, it was kind of going around in my head here, and then I finally came up with the connection I was looking for, so I thought I'd bring it up, but... okay. Yeah, I, I mean, I think that pretty much wraps up our list, doesn't it? Yeah, and I think this is a good place to end. Uh, like I said, I am so glad we didn't do this as one episode because, yeah, it would have been uh, would have been a long one. So thank you very much for uh, putting up with me, Chad, as we did two parts here. Yeah, and not a 
problem. And I, I just want to let people know again that we now have a way that you guys can help us out, keep the podcast coming to allow us to do possibly even more than we do already. And we have a support page. And all you got to do to support us is when you, wherever you listen to this, just look at the bottom. There will be a link there to support our page. Go over there. Uh, you know, let us let us know that you're out there listening and let us know that uh, you want more of it. Yep. And certainly share this uh, episode with your friends and neighbors and any gamers or anyone you think might be interested. And again, just as a reminder, probably around the end of January, I'm going to stop posting episodes on Podbean as we're moving to the new platform on Anchor. So if you prefer to get your podcast to that platform, uh, look up Eclectic Media Podcasts and you should be able to get that through iTunes or rather through the Apple Podcast app as well as Stitcher. And I think there's a couple other platforms it goes through as well. Thank you very much for listening, everyone. And I'm not sure if part three here is going to drop before or after Christmas. But in any case, whatever holiday you celebrate at this time of year, we certainly hope it's a happy one. And if you don't really celebrate a religious holiday, have a wonderful day nonetheless. Good night, everyone. You have been listening to a production of the Eclectic Media Project. Please check us out on the web at www.eclecticmediaproject.com and on Podbean and iTunes. Find Scott and Chad on Twitter as well at EMP underscore Scott and at Chad EMP. We are on Facebook at Eclectic Media Project. Visit our publishing arm at www.poigamestudio and follow them on Twitter at POIGamestudio. Thank you and we look forward to bringing you more thought-provoking and enjoyable content.